When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Addendum 6666.11, Exploration Log. The following is the transcript of video and audio collected during an exploratory venture into the forest at the bottom of the cavern containing SCP-6666. Transit to the floor of the cavern was conducted by lowering a modified habitation module the full 34-kilometer distance from the deck of Alpha Tower to the entry site roughly 1.2 kilometers from the entrance to the forest. Exploratory team members were fitted with Class C polyshell positively pressured insertion suits with filtered respirators. Onboard air monitoring systems were fitted to each suit, and a reserve tank of emergency oxygen was available in the event that the system reported a dangerous level of the SCP-6666 neurotoxin. Exploration Video Log Transcript, Date May 26, 2019 Support Team Mobile Task Force HET-1 Lance of Longinus Subject SCP-6666 Team Lead 1 Commander Estri Research Team Dr. Bishop Dr. Mord Dr. Gutierrez Dr. Shi Begin Log Estri, comms coming online Control, do you read me? Safaz Control, we read you, Commander. Your video is coming online now. Video feed comes online. Commander Estri is standing near the edge of the forest next to Carrier, Horizon, Triple, Pressure, and Glass. Supervising Dr. Bishop and his team, Drs. Moore, Gutierrez, and she stand nearby. Commander, we see you clearly. Signal is good. Can we get a signal test on everyone else? Yep, let's run through it. Horizon. Horizon check. Glass. Glass check. Carrier. Carrier check. Pressure. Pressure check. Triple. Triple check. Bishop. This is Bishop check. Gutierrez. Gutierrez uh, check. Gutierrez, come again. Check control. This is Gutierrez. We read you over. She check check. Copy. You all sound good. Confirm position. Roughly one click from the elevator, 200 meters or so from the tree line. Copy that, Commander. Can you confirm air quality? Glass. Reading at between 2.3 and 6.1 particles per million at our current location. Copy that, Glass. We're seeing the same thing. Team, be advised that we are unsure how accurately we will be able to track you in the forest. Our cameras have a hard time reading heat through the trees. So if you need ballistic support, don't hesitate to pop flares or light up the foliage. Copy that control. Don't need to give them any ideas. The boys look a little too keen with the flamethrowers. Disregard that control. We're all good here. Ready to turn on the lights at first sign of trouble. Understood, Commander. Try to keep a leash on them. Copy that as well, control. Okay, I think we're ready. Everyone ready? All right, let's move. The team approaches the wall of the forest. Astray gestures towards the scouted insertion point and the team enters the forest. 
The interior of the forest is exceedingly dark, more so than the cavern interior itself due to the light from the observatory tower flood lamps and sunlight that enters through the access shaft. While there is some clearing by which the team can maneuver, the majority of the space within the forest is covered in thick, dark foliage. So what do you think we'll find in here, Dr. Bishop? It's hard to say. There are really a thousand different things we could find that Dr. Malthus would consider valuable to our research. So much has gotten pulled down here, either by the wormwoods or the tree itself. Really anything we can gather and translate would be beneficial. I heard someone else mention that before too. Wormwoods. What's a wormwood? It's a... Actually, see, you were on that team, weren't you? Yes, I was. It was my assignment before last. The Wormwoods are... Well, it's a Davite weapon first off. The Davites are another race of antediluvians, but different than the Sky Kings or the Jajateri. They were blood magicians. At some point in their history, they learned that the Children of the Night had a weapon that they could use to pull entire civilizations into the ground. The Daiva wanted this for themselves. Think of it as the equivalent of a primordial atomic bomb. And so they came across the sea to these, uh... Huh. It probably was this forest, wasn't it? Was just thinking the same thing. Anyway, a hundred thousand Daiva die, but they managed to acquire these seeds. You plant one beneath the ground of your enemy, and as it grows in secret, it displaces the earth beneath them until one day they are swallowed up and destroyed. The Daiva further enchanted them with their own sorcery. Once a place goes into the earth, people immediately forget it ever existed. And the seeds came from the big tree, and... That's the belief, yeah. It doesn't produce much of anything now. Except roots. But it's fair to say that there are probably more of those seeds here. Somewhere. I wonder why they were so intent on dragging so much stuff down here. Well, 073 says the Children of the Night were created to kill the first man. Maybe they just didn't know how to do anything else. That's pretty fucked. Team continues through the forest for another two hours, extraneous dialogue removed. Commander Estre, be advised, we're having some trouble with our geolocation currently, and our pings coming from you are getting more sporadic. We think this is a technical issue, but until further advised, we do not have a consistent way to track your location. Copy that control. Let me know if you want us to stay put. You're cleared to proceed, Commander. Just alert us if anything changes. One hour of extraneous dialogue removed. It's so quiet in here. Yeah. Usually with a forest, you'd think there'd be birds or bugs or... anything. There's nothing. Look alive straight ahead. I see it. The team approaches a tree at the back of a small clearing in front of them. Impaled through a low-hanging tree limb is a small, emaciated humanoid figure with long-pointed ear tips and large eye sockets. What is that thing? It's a fairy. Look. Dr. Bishop approaches the figure and wipes the toxic residue off of its head with his hand. Under the team's shoulder-mounted torches, the hair on the figure's head is unmistakably silver. Bishop, look. There in the back. Bishop reaches towards the rear of the figure where a small pouch is pinned between the figure and the tree. He works the pouch loose and pulls it away, revealing a small cloth sack. He opens it up and pulls out a small bundle of sticks and leaves. What's that? I think it's... Oh, it's a doll. Yeah. There are just toys in here, little carved stones and trinkets. Do we need to collect anything else? Gutierrez, get some pictures of this. We, uh... 
We don't need to stay here. We can keep going. Team continues on. One hour of extraneous dialogue removed. Let's see about getting a location check. Control, do you read me? We copy, Commander. Can you get me a location check? We should be beneath Alpha Tower currently by my estimate. Copy that one moment. Commander Estri, advise that we still are experiencing technical issues currently and do not have a location ping on any member of your party at... That's not great. Copy that, Control. We're going to set up here for now until you can get that sorted out. Copy will keep you posted. Roll out the hab tent between those two trees. Pressure, triple. Let's get the ionizers out and scrub the suits. We'll set up shop here for a bit and see if we can wait out the issues. Exploration team begins setting up their camp using the inflatable positive pressure habitation tent and air ionizers. Extraneous dialogue removed. After several hours of waiting, the team sets up watch shifts and begin to sleep. Time passes, extraneous dialogue removed. 3.51 hours local time. Horizon has the watch. Dr. Moore awakens abruptly with a scream. What is it? What's wrong? I... I... I saw... What's going on? I'm sorry, I... I had a dream just now. I swear, I swear it was real. It was just like sitting here now, only... What did you see, Alistair? There's a... There was a path into the woods, and I was walking down it, and I saw... I saw the fairy we found on that tree, and then another we missed in a ditch near it, and... I could see through the dark, just like it was daylight, but everything was this horrible red. And then I passed here and saw the hab, and then kept walking until I came to this. I don't know, this canopy, and in the middle of it was a hole, and I hear someone's voice saying, The devil is twenty miles down, but what's deeper? I looked over the edge of the hole, and then I was falling, and then... But I swear to you, Bishop, it was no different than sitting with you here now. I can't explain it. It's all right, you're all right. I wasn't sleeping easy either. Control, this is Estri. Do you read me? We hear you, Commander. Go ahead. Moore is experiencing some of the psychological effects detailed in Dr. Arnold's report. Can you confirm any precautionary measures we need to be taking? Copy that, Commander. One moment while we confer. Commander, I'm sorry. I'm fine. You don't need to worry about it. It's all right, Dr. Moore. We don't want to take any chances. Commander Estre, we have reason to believe that any of the relevant psychological issues will become more prevalent the closer you get to the center of the forest. Did we know about this ahead of time? I'm curious why I wasn't prepped on this earlier, Control. We cannot confirm that at this time, Commander. Copy that, Control. If there's anything else I need to know, I'd like to hear about it sooner, please. Copy that, Commander. Let's pack up. I don't want to waste any more time out here than we need to. Exploratory team collapses the HAB module and leaves the campsite towards the southwest. Two hours of extraneous dialogue removed. As the team continues through the forest, triple signals to stop. Commander, look at this. Dr. Bishop, what do you think this is? Are those stairs? Triple gestures towards a large nearby tree, where a staircase is clearly visible emerging from the trunk and spiraling upwards. They are. Am I imagining this? Or do those look like they grew right out of the fucking thick of this thing? Commander, Dr. Bishop, up there. Glass points up, and the rest of the team adjusts their spotlights skyward. In the canopy of the forest, high above them, strange twisting structures are visible. 
appearing to have been formed from the wood and limbs of the trees. The shape of the structures is incongruous with the forest itself, as if they were a facsimile of the ruined buildings outside the forest manifested in the treetops. As the team continues to scan around them, Dr. Shi gestures for everyone to be silent. Shh. Listen. I hear it. What is that? Is it wind? There's no wind. It has to be something else. Where's it coming from? Over there. Follow me. The team proceeds through the forest, which becomes increasingly dense with buildings and strange curving pathways through the trees that do not seem to have any logical ending. The sound of moving air becomes more and more apparent. Control, this is Estri. Can we get a position check, please? Silence. Control, do you read me? Silence. Glass, do we have a comms link? What's going on here? They're over there, look. A clearing. There's something in the center of it. Come on, Glass, please, if you can... I'm working on it, Commander. Hang tight. The team follows Dr. Gutierrez's direction towards a gap in the dense trees. After a moment, they pass the gap and into a wide clearing. This is it. Oh my god. What the fuck is this? The team exits into the clearing, which is a nearly perfect circle of open space covered in a low, thick grass. Arching overhead are trees much larger than the surrounding forest, pulled in towards each other to create a massive dome in the forest. Hanging from the arched trees overhead are thousands of humanoid corpses, some clearly human and others resembling the figure the team had earlier found, impaled on a tree limb. These figures all are shackled in some way to thick black chains that have been latched to the top of the dome. The ground level of the clearing slopes downward, and at the bottom of the slope, roughly 110 meters in front of the team, is a large, featureless stone slab, measuring approximately 30 meters by 50 meters and 2 meters thick. This is... this is the clearing from my dream, but there was a hole there, not... that. I don't like the look of this at all. Tighten up, team. Bishop, is this what you were looking for? I believe so, yes. You think this is Osman's dark hole? Yes, the answers we're looking for are down there. That's great and all, but I have no clue how you intend to get underneath that thing. It's gotta weigh 6,000 tons. We don't need to look over there. There's an opening. Glass motions to a section of the slab near the far corner, where a sizable chunk of the slab is broken. The broken piece of the stone lays embedded a half meter in the grass nearby. Let's go. The team approaches the broken section of the slab. Eastry approaches the opening and looks down. Pretty deep. Horizon, hand me a flare. Horizon pulls a flare from their pack and hands it to Estri, who lights it and drops it into the opening. It falls roughly 12 meters and lands on stone below. Huh. Not that deep at all. Let's get a ladder set up here. Brace it on this rock. I mean, this piece alone has got to weigh two or three tons, right? How did this get over here? That windy sound, do you hear it? It's coming from down there. Yep, I hear it. Dr. Bishop, you're going to have about 30 minutes down here before I pull us out. Do you understand? We're down comms. We have at least six hours of hiking to get back to the elevator, and I don't want to stick around and wait for whatever opened this hole for us. I understand. That's fine. All right. Carrier glass, you come with me. Horizon, pressure, triple. You stay here and monitor this area. Alistair Pablo, stay here with the field team. See what you can gather from this clearing and- Yes, sir. Yes, of course. She, you're with me. Understood. Estray, Carrier, Glass, Dr. Bishop, and She descend the ladder into the space beneath the stone slab. 
The sound of moving air becomes more audible in the cavern below. Let's get the floods on in here. It's somehow darker here than it is up there. All five members of the cavern group turn on their flood lamps, fully illuminating the area around them. The walls of the chamber are a smooth gray stone, and the chamber itself is roughly five meters on each side, stretching up vertically to the slab above. Along the walls are recessed openings in the rock, many of which are empty, but some that contain wooden boxes bound in chains. Anchored to the walls are thick metal hooks, and more chains hang from the ceiling. There is a single door on the north wall. All right, this is it. Let's go. The team goes through the doorway, which exits into a long hallway. The hallway contains more recessed openings, some of which contain wooden boxes, but others that contain various humanoid and animal bones. Some of the openings have been sealed using a kind of thick, crystalline wax. Carrier gestures above one opening, where a mural is present, carved into the rock. The mural depicts many hundreds of dark figures standing beneath a large tree with a red artifact in its center. As they continue forward, they pass sealed passageways overgrown with roots, and more murals depicting various scenes of humanoid figures being bound in chains, dropped into pits full of bodies, or set on fire. Present in nearly every mural is a depiction of the same tree and red artifact. The hallway winds around to the west. Estray motions to move around the bend. As the hallway straightens back out, the team sees a large stone door at its end, with another mural across its entire surface. This mural depicts a mass of dark figures with yellow eyes huddled around the base of a large, curled, vaguely feminine figure with many arms wrapped around them as dark clouds gather overhead. Estre approaches the doorway and pulls it back, and the door easily swings open. Turning back to look at the rest of the team momentarily, Estre nods and enters the doorway. They exit into a circular room containing two staircases, one ascending on the left and one descending on the right. The ascending staircase is blocked off completely with stone and rubble filling the stairwell as if having fallen from somewhere above. Glass immediately motions to his air monitor, which shows elevated levels of toxic particulate in the chamber. Dr. Bishop approaches the descending staircase and gestures for the team to follow him down. They descend roughly 20 meters before reaching a landing, and then turning back to descend another 20 meters. At the bottom of the staircase is a wide, arched opening. As Dr. Bishop passes under the arch and holds up his hand, in front of them is an enormous chamber stretching out as far as the eye can see in every direction, though the ceiling is low. In a circle around the archway, and then in concentric circles around that, are large, unmoving, humanoid figures covered entirely in slick, dark hair, sitting on the stone floor and curled into the fetal position. They each are covered in the toxic dust that had previously emanated out from SCP-6666. Glass reaches up and touches his ear, and the others nod. This is the source of the sound of moving air as the innumerable number of curled figures breathe slowly and in unison. Up above in the domed clearing, Dr. Gutierrez and Dr. Moore inspect the exterior of the slab, while Horizon, Pressure, and Triple scan the tree line. Suddenly, there is the sound of something moving in the trees, causing Pressure to look towards the eastern edge of the clearing. What was that? 
There's something in the trees. Listen. What is it? Shh. Listen. Silence. Suddenly, all five members of the team in the clearing hear an unusual sound. It is laughter, as if from a child, but stretched unnaturally and echoing as if from very far away. Both Moore and Gutierrez come away from the edge of the slab towards pressure and horizon as Triple advances on a spot at the edge of the clearing. The sound is heard again, although behind them, on the western side. All five team members turn to face the western edge of the clearing as the sound is heard again above them. There, in the tree, there's something moving in the trees. The team turns to look, and as they do, they catch a glimpse of a large, fleeting object moving quickly through the dark tree line before it disappears again. Once more, they hear the sound of the strange laughter, which stops suddenly. Where'd it go? Suddenly, another sound is heard different than the first, a long, high-pitched whine crackling and unnaturally tonal, seemingly coming from somewhere above them. The sound continues for another 15 seconds and then stops suddenly. What the hell was that? Suddenly the ground beneath them shakes, and the sound of geological movement can be heard across the entire chamber. The arched trees overhead begin to rustle, and then with a sound of yawning wood begin to pull back from each other, revealing inky blackness overhead. In the far distance, the dim light of the powerful observation tower flood lamps can be seen through the dark. As the trees pull away and straighten, the radio crackles. Commander Estre, do you read us? Pet, one team, do any of you read? This is pressure, go ahead. Where is Estre? He went below with Bishop and half the team. There's some kind of opening in the earth down here. Pressure be advised, there is another entity at your position we cannot identify. Control, we... The high-pitched whining sound cuts him off and the cavern shakes again for six seconds before settling. What the fuck is going? Suddenly the entire chamber is bathed in vibrant red light. The team looks skyway where high overhead SCP-6666 has illuminated with red light emanating from the base of the entity. The team hears laughter again. At the same time in the chamber below, the team braces as the rumbling stops. As the earth settles, Ashtray looks around at the others. Everyone good? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Good. I think the time to leave is now, Dr. Bishop. Yes, let's... What happened to the wind? You're right, that's... Estray is cut off as Dr. Bishop gasps. She is staring back into the chamber beyond the archway, where all of the hunched figures are now staring at the doorway, the eyes open and glowing yellow. There's a loud snapping sound, and one of the figures in the fifth row back moves suddenly, lifting its left arm, followed by another loud crack as it lifts its right. It bends as if to stand up, and suddenly the entire chamber is full of the sound of movement. Run. Run. The team flees back up the stairwell, catching themselves as the earth shakes again. They retreat back down the hallway, towards the door that leads to the chamber with the ladder. Commander Estray, do you read me? Where are you? We're coming, Horizon. Get your people out of there. We have to go. Commander, you need to hurry and I hear you, Horizon. Come on, run. The team enters the side chamber and begin to hurry up the ladder. The sound of rushing air can be heard from behind them, and suddenly the air is thick with toxic dust that blows past them and out of the opening in the slab. The team holds onto the ladder and the recessed openings in the rock. But Dr. Shi, who had been at the top of the ladder, is blown five meters into the air, landing hard on the stone slab.
As he lands, the plexiglass face mask of his helmet cracks, and suit breach alarms sound as his insertion suit begins dumping oxygen in an attempt to maintain positive pressure. Come on, go, go. Horizon, help him. We have to go. From deep below, heavy footsteps can be heard. The remainder of the team exits from below the slab while Horizon and Carrier grab She, who looks around at them panicked. Hang on, hang on, I feel... She's body seizes and he goes completely limp. Chow, no. God damn it, we have to leave him, Bishop. He's already gone. No, no, we can't. He can still. Bishop, listen to me. We have to go. I'm sorry, we have to go. I... I... Oh, God. Come on. The team heads back into the forest following the same path they had taken coming in. More chattering laughter can be heard around them. Control, this is Astri. I need a fucking geolocation ping right fucking now. I need to know the fastest way out of here. Copy that, Commander. One moment. Right fucking now. Control, please. We see you, Commander. Your shortest path out is roughly 14 clicks due northeast from your position. All right, come on. We have to bust ass. Carrier Horizon, give us some cover. Copy that. Carrier and Horizon turn and open their flamethrowers on the trees around them. As the forest begins to burn, the sound of creaking timber is heard overhead as many of supports holding up the massive structures built out of the trees themselves begin to groan and fail. As the two men turn to follow the rest of the group, Horizon is pulled backward suddenly. Carrier stops and turns back. Commander. Moments later, Carrier hears Horizon screaming before being quickly cut off. There is a wet tearing sound, followed by a dark, wet mass flying towards Carrier. He ducks out of the way and turns to see the upper torso of Horizon separated from its bottom half as if pulled in two. Horizon's eyes blink rapidly as it mouths inaudible words. Carrier shouts again before pulling out his sidearm and shooting Horizon twice through the mask. Blood fills Horizon's helmet and he stops moving. Carrier. Commander, whatever is out here got Horizon. I had to... God damn it. Carrier, come on, let's go quickly. Carrier looks down at Horizon again, before running off after the rest of the team. The remaining members of the HET, one team along with doctors Bishop Gutierrez and more, continue running without additional disturbance, pausing only briefly on four different occasions to catch their breath. After one hour and 34 minutes, the team emerges from the tree line out onto the field of humanoid remains previously mapped by Hero. The team turns north for two kilometers, making it back to the elevator after roughly one hour and 46 minutes. Due to the events detailed in Addendum 6666.12, none of the members of HET, one or the research team, realized that Dr. Shi's audio and video transmitter, while damaged, began transmitting again one hour after their departure. She coughs violently and rolls onto his back. Above him, SCP-6666 is visible, now glowing with bright red light. She takes several deep breaths and looks around him. He stands shaking and braces himself against the slab. Hearing oxygen rushing through a crack in his helmet, he puts a glove up over it. From somewhere nearby, she hears the same stretched laughter as was heard previously by the other members of the exploratory team. He begins walking slowly away from the slab, towards the tree line. He steps into the trees and stumbles forward as his breathing gets increasingly heavy. He takes several more steps forward before stopping. The sound of laughter is picked up on his microphone and he turns back towards the clearing. 
as he turns his audio and video equipment begin to act erratically. It is unknown if this behavior is a result of a technical malfunction or changes to the space immediately around Xi. Despite this, his camera captures several distorted frames of a figure roughly six meters tall standing in a gap between two trees, illuminated from behind by the red light coming from SCP-6666. After two seconds, Xi's camera stops functioning entirely and shuts off. Xi is heard walking quickly through the forest, his breathing more and more labored. There is another laugh from immediately behind him, and then a powerful, low droning sound fills the chamber. The source of the sound is above him, coming from SCP-6666. This sound, and the events that transpired afterwards, were also caught on the microphones of the Het, one team during their escape through the forest. More laughter is heard as she begins to run, and another loud drone is heard. A third drone is heard, followed by a loud scream, and then Xi's recording equipment shuts down entirely. Xi's transmitter continues pinging his location for an additional 16 minutes. He is dragged backwards 100 meters before coming to a rest. After this, communication with the transmitter is terminated due to heavy atmospheric interference. The final 38 seconds of Xi's audio transmission are available below. End log. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Addendum 6666.12. Reaction by SCP-6666-A. During the exploration attempt detailed in Addendum 6666.11, SCP-6666 began exhibiting unusual behavior. The above-ground root growth began to expand rapidly, forcing fire teams to pull the Sapphos safe perimeter back. SCP-6666 itself began to emit red light from seams in the trunk of its superstructure and spherical glowing sacs began to appear across its entire limb system. During this time, geological phenomenon was also recorded, originating somewhere beneath the cavern. However, at the same time that SCP-6666 was entering this activation state, SCP-6666-A began to pull against its bindings. Charlie Tower reported seeing the large Kevlar guy line beginning to fray before snapping entirely as SCP-6666-A pulled the line in half. Freed from its bindings, SCP-6666-A then began vocalizing, first simply shouting but then speaking. While audio recordings of the event clearly show SCP-6666-A speaking in an unknown tongue, those present in the chamber at the time reported being able to clearly understand SCP-6666-A in their native language. How this was accomplished when SCP-6666-A had not previously displayed any such mimetic effect is unknown. 
Dr. Isles, recognizing the nature of the event as it was occurring, used speech-to-text software to transcribe the full exchange as it was occurring. The full transcript of SCP-6666-A's vocalizations are available below. Hear me. I am Hector, son of Holas, the screaming lance of the northern sky. Last son of old Europe, servant eternally to the sky king Saras von Apollyon. Lord Dominion of the world of men, inheritor of Asim's iron crown. Hear me, dread Titania, hear me now and tremble. Tremble now as you did all those many years ago when I crossed the rising sea to find you. Tremble now as you did when I drove my lance into your bleeding chest. And tremble now as you did when I learned you had already betrayed your purpose. I struck you down, demon of yore. I wrenched open your body and broke you. You have betrayed your master's dread, Titania, but you will not betray me. I will have your obedience. You will honor my wish and pour your poison into this grave. You will smother the corpse city of your interlopers and bury them. You will do this, demon, because I have demanded it of you. I am Hector, the divine fire of my lord's perfect will. Answer to me now, dread Titania. Hear me and tremble. Immediately following this vocalization, SCP-6666-A began furiously attacking both the polyfoam seal on the opening in SCP-6666 and SCP-6666 itself. SCP-6666-A then braced itself against the mass of SCP-6666 and with great effort pulled its remaining three arms free from the interior of the tree. SCP-6666-A, using all five of its free arms and its spear for leverage, grabbed both sides of the opening and pulled them away from each other. With a loud cracking sound, the trunk of SCP-6666 split open and once again began to discharge a thick, dense cloud of toxic particulate into the cavern below. At the same moment, the red light that had been emanating from SCP-6666 began to dim and was gone completely within 14 minutes. SCP-6666-A continued to attack the side of SCP-6666 for an additional six hours. Afterwards, SCP-6666-A braced itself against the side of SCP-6666 with its spear and went dormant. Addendum 6666.13 Redacted. The following file is level 5 slash 6666.13 classified. If you've gotten this far, you probably have the same question I did after we finished reading Dr. Bishop's report. If everything we've found here is true, then what is up with the SCP-1000 file? I went back and did some digging and was able to get into the first few revisions of that file using our clearances. Here are a few things I learned. 1. The file was originally written by Tilda Moose in 1956. 2. The file predates the first recorded Bigfoot sighting by two years. Jerry Crew first started noting Bigfoot tracks in Humboldt County in 1958. 3. Tilda Moose did not work for the Foundation in 1956. 4. Tilda Moose was not alive in 1956. With all that being said, I want you to read this section here one more time. We forgive you, given choice for now, not forever. Let us back in. 
Knowing now what we know about what these things are and what they can do and what they have done, I want you to tell me, who do you think would want us to let these things back in? Who does that sound like to you? Think about it for a while, then come talk to me. We have a lot to work on. Shannon is already working on the fourth night, and after that, we'll have a decision to make. Whether or not we want to go down to the seventh floor and talk to him. Sincerely, Oh, 5-1. P.S. You probably want to see what we had to take out of that report, too. The one with the fairy. The most unfortunate part of this job is sending people out to do a job that they don't realize is as dangerous as you do. Don't get too bummed out about it. Read it and move on. We'll make sure their families are taken care of. What was the wish? We... I'm sorry. I should have been forthcoming. I just... There were so few of us left afterwards, we dared not speak of it in fear of conjuring them back out of the darkness, but, well, it's been so long now. Pauses. When the first man committed the first sin, there was outrage, yes, but Asim was intolerably powerful, and we could not stand against him, meek as we were. So we prayed to the Queen Mother and asked her to deliver us from him to give us the power to destroy him, and she, she did. The children were born from beneath her roots, and we hated them from the moment they first emerged. Why did you hate them? Why did we hate them? We hated them because they were like you. Pauses. But we needed them, so we demanded they cross the sea and bring Asim to justice, and they did. His kingdom fell, his people were scattered, his sons were set to ruin. They did everything we asked of them, and we still hated them. When they returned to us, did we honor them as conquering heroes? Did we throw feasts in their name and praise them for doing what we could not? No. No, we put them deep into the dark of the forest, away from the stars. Because the stars were only for us and not for them. They were just children. And we left them there, out of sight and out of mind, for a hundred million years. We abandoned them, and in their isolation they turned cruel. You wanted to know what they wished for? They, they wished to not be alone anymore. And what did Aya do? She provided. She pulled out her own heart and gave it to them, even knowing what they had become. She gave it willingly to them because she knew. She knew about our neglect. She knew about our apathy. The children didn't want to be alone anymore, so she gave them her heart and became their goddess, not ours. We can conclude if you'd like. Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to tell you before I go. I had to make a slight alteration to the exploration log. We didn't want anyone thinking our priorities were in the wrong place. Dr. Bishop was kind enough to grab something from that temple on his way out. Grabbed it right out of the withered hands of a long-dead sprite. I don't get the impression they'll miss it much. It's fairly inconsequential at this point, but I wanted you to see it before we put it into storage forever. It's a shame. It's really very pretty. Okay. Hello, everybody. This is Arthur. No funny voices, no pitching, and no AI voices. This is all genuinely me. I'm fairly certain this is actually the first time that I've broken character and not been either 
Skelicaturnus or some ambiguous person speaking in the background. But I wanted to do, I guess, a channel update. I guess that's what this will be, seeing as I just finished the little mini Paragon series. I basically went over most of the Paragon SCPs. I know there are a few that I didn't cover. I think the Wormwood's one of them, which I probably will do because I know that's a little bit more integral to the story. But any of the other ones, I'll I'll just kind of get around to them. And funny enough, I do feel like these are some of my most polished episodes, at least in terms of vocal usage, trying to get a story told, and just editing in general. I've always thought it was fun making these. I really just started making them more because I wanted to see that sort of content. Really, I started this just about four years ago. Wow, that's crazy. I believe it was last October did the four-year mark. And no, this is still one of the most fun things I get to do. So the actual update portion of this. So like I said, just finished the miniseries. That was fantastic. I love doing that. That was great. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a break from really long ones, like longer than 30 to 40 minutes. Probably do a few smaller ones, probably like, you know, 15, 20 minute episodes just to kind of give myself a little bit of a break. But then I was probably going to go back to working on some of the larger projects or uh, larger SCPs. Um, and I also did want to say I want, I always have wanted to, you know, do more interaction. I know I've been adding more of the, the comments, doing polls and things like that. I have made it known, but I'm not sure if everybody knows there is an Instagram for this that I, I'll post more on. Um, there is also a Discord, which was linked on the podcast site itself. And lastly, along that line, I did just start a Patreon. So if you would like to help support the show, that gets you a shout out and even lets you pick out episodes at the higher tier. Uh, and then I also did want to say I'm not just going to start spamming that everywhere. Uh, I really am probably only going to mention this on 25 to 30 minute episodes at the very end, just to kind of keep it known. And lastly, I started an audiobook channel as well. Uh, currently, I just have one up. I have The Call of Cthulhu. Um, the next one I am currently working on in the background would be John Carter, otherwise known as A Princess of Mars. Um, it's probably going to lean a little more science fiction heavy, just because that's what I like to read in my free time. Um, but I'm always open to ideas. So that link to the Patreon, the audiobook podcast, the Discord, Instagram, and all that stuff is going to be in the description. I appreciate everybody that listens to this. I just started doing this on my own for fun, and this has grown from seeing one to two people every few months to at least a couple hundred of you guys every day is kind of crazy. So thank you very much. Have a great one, and here's to four more years of this.